Well, good morning to you, uh, and uh, it's great that you can join us uh, for City Church at home. As Ben said, my name's James. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, uh, and they've even provided me with a sofa so that I can speak in relative comfort. Uh, and over the next few minutes, we're going to look at God's Word uh, together, and then we're going to share communion together at the end uh, of, of my time speaking. So if you need to uh, grab some bread or a bread substitute uh, and find some kind of juice or wine uh, or anything you can get your hands on, then at the end of, of when I speak, we're going to have communion together. So just wanted to give you that heads up in case you need to go and grab some stuff to do that. Um, This morning I want us to think about family and uh, with it being Mother's Day uh, today, I wanted to take the opportunity first of all to show our appreciation uh, to all the mums uh, in our church and all the mums that are watching online uh, and to recognise all that uh, these women do for us in our lives and as part of our church family and to recognise women right across the church. We want to say thank you. Thank you for leading us, for caring for us uh, and all that you are and all that you bring uh, to this church uh, family. And, and as it's Mother's Day, uh, I thought I'd introduce you to my mum. Uh, and her name is Anna. And I think a photo of her is coming up on the screen. She's looking particularly uh, glam in that photo. She got to choose the photo. Uh, so there it is. Uh, I think it was at my brother's wedding. And uh, her name is Anna, and she lives with my dad in Nottingham. And I'm going to share a little bit of her story this morning. Uh, So she was born in Shropshire and lived there for much of her early life and her teenage years and was raised uh, by her mother and her grandmother. And sadly, her father uh, was unable to to live with them. He left before my mum was born. And so my mum never got to know her dad, never met him before. He was uh, a Greek Cypriot. Uh, which is why when someone had forgotten who my name and was trying to describe me to someone, they said, I think he's like Middle Eastern or something like that. Uh, and so there you go, hence the, the, the hissute face that I have. He's a Greek Cypriot. Uh, and uh, mum didn't have any other siblings. Uh, she had an uncle and an auntie and a handful of uh, cousins, but it was a small, very private family. Uh, and growing up, I was, of course, aware that mum had no contact with her dad and never met him before. But as the years went on, uh, I, I started to hear whispers of mum trying to find out something about her family, trying to hunt her dad down, her family uh, down. Uh, and so uh, uh, one evening, about four years ago, uh, I was sitting in my living room at home in Bristol, uh, and I got a phone call late in the evening. Uh, It was about 10pm, I think, uh, and it was my mum, and it was clear that something was up. Uh, And she started to tell me that she'd been in in contact over the last couple of years with a Greek Orthodox priest in London, uh, emailing back and forth. I I don't know how that even happened, but it it happened. And uh, somehow she had found out that her dad had sadly died. Uh, And so the previous weekend, they had managed to find out some details and go along to uh, a cemetery in Ealing in London to try and find her dad's gravestone. They had a name. His name was Petros Costa. What a name. And uh, uh, they went down to Ealing uh, and they had a rough idea of, of where the gravestone might be in the cemetery. So they go down on the Saturday uh, and as they're there, they see a Greek Orthodox priest 
in the cemetery. And they walk over to them and they start chatting. And it turns out it, is, it was the priest that mum had been in contact with over the last couple of years. It's extraordinary. And so the, the priest shows my parents to her dad's gravestone. Uh, and as they're talking and as they're taking this moment, uh, the priest sees a fr- another friend walking across the cemetery and calls him over and introduces him to uh, my parents and he was a radio DJ of a Greek radio station in London. I mean the story just gets more and more nuts as you hear it and they start talking and the radio DJ offers my mum to give a shout out that week to say that Anna Lee is looking for her dad's family, Petros Costa and if you know any of them or, or if you are related in any way to get in touch and we'll try and put them together. Anyway, on the evening that I get that phone call in the week, mum had just got off the phone to someone that had rang her up. Uh, and uh, as I'm listening, I'm starting to put the pieces together about what, is, what she's about to tell me. And uh, on the phone, she had just received a phone call. And on the phone, this woman with a thick Greek accent said, I am your auntie. I am your dad's sister. And I mean, I was in floods of tears listening to this story from my mum. Uh, she told me uh, they, they, they were planning to go down to London to meet this auntie. And so they go down that weekend, my mum and my dad, they go down to Ealing, thinking that they're going to meet uh, mum's auntie and her husband. And they walk in the door and half of Cyprus is there in the living room, ready to welcome her uncles, aunties, cousins, It was extraordinary. A couple of months later, Sarah and my wife and I, we go down with my siblings. We meet them in a restaurant and there's a 20 metre table just full of people and they all get up. They're hugging and they're kissing. And if you know anything about me, I love a hug and a kiss, which is why social distancing is a challenge for me when I say hello to people right now. Uh, But they were all over us and it was incredible. Uh, it's a ridiculous story in many senses. Uh, and, and for my mum, uh, growing up as an only child, now with a huge extended family who she loves and has been accepted into, the gaps in her family line are starting to be filled in. And even for myself, starting to make sense of, of my family history, that has started to happen well, the cultures in which the books of the Bible uh, were written saw that your family and your family line was of huge importance. Where you came from and what your family name was gave you your identity. It communicates something about who you were and what you were about. And I suppose in our culture, we have something of that, but it's not so strong, but Uh, People's surnames often tell you something about perhaps the line of work that they were historically involved in. So smiths were blacksmiths uh, and tailors mended and made clothes and walkers, uh, well, they obviously just went on lots of long walks. Uh, But at the beginning of the New Testament, uh, the book of Matthew opens up with a family tree. And so if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, We're going to read a couple of verses that tell us something of a family tree. In fact, it's it's the genealogy of Jesus, as it's called. And it starts off like this. It says this, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, 
the son of Abraham. Now to the original readers of this, uh, this was an incredibly loaded and significant statement. The names that feature in this sentence, the order in which they come, the meaning and significance behind them uh, was what the writer was trying to communicate. Uh, It wouldn't have been lost on the reader. In fact, it would have been a huge bombshell when they had read it. And Matthew starts his gospel account boldly proclaiming to the readers that Jesus is the Christ. You see, Christ wasn't Jesus's surname, but rather it was an identification or a credential of who Jesus was. And the Christ meant the Messiah or the anointed one. And so for the readers of this book, uh, who were predominantly Jewish, uh, it was an astounding claim uh, that that the saviour, the, the, the anointed one, the ultimate rescuer, the one that had been prophesied and promised throughout the Old Testament was in fact Jesus. And Matthew is saying at the beginning of his account of Jesus' life, the person that you are about to read about, the person that you are about to learn, about to encounter in these scriptures is the Messiah. He is the Christ. In fact, he is God himself. And then as if to back that up then with some kind of evidence or, or rather to back that up with Jesus' family credentials, he says that Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham. And David was significant because as well as being Israel's most revered king in its history, Uh, It was said in the Old Testament prophets that the Messiah would come from the line of David. That that for the house of David, there would be no end. Uh, And so Matthew is invoking both the prophetic promises of the Old Testament, but also the kingship of Jesus. That the Christ was going to be king over God's people. If you remember in Isaiah chapter 9, it's a passage that we often read at Christmas time, but it says this, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Jesus was in the line of royalty. He was the king and his line was never going to end. And then Matthew says, and secondly, Abraham. He's the son of Abraham in which the origins of the people of God would be established. You remember God said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you will be a blessing. And so again, Matthew, by referencing Abraham, is saying that the blessing that was promised to Abraham would come through his family line. And that the people of God who would trace their family and heritage back to Abraham would find their ultimate hope, not in Abraham, but in fact, in Jesus. They would find ultimate salvation in Jesus Christ. And so it's from this family line, Abraham and David, that the Messiah has come. 
And Matthew wants the readers to know this. He wants them to see the significance of this, that Jesus is not an otherworldly being that just materialised out of thin air, but as the summary and fulfilment of Israel's history. Jesus is the culmination. He is the climax. He is the focal point of this family. And for us, we might not quite feel the same way as the original readers might have done, but we would do well to remember who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, he is the rescuer, he is the great restorer of all things. And in our time of of great uncertainty, as we wait for the news feeds to roll in, to hear what the Prime Minister has to say, as we see the statistics come in about how the virus is affecting people, as we experience personally perhaps, how the virus is affecting us, whether that's health concerns, whether that's concerns around work and employment, housing and benefits, family, feeling alone or isolated. In this short sentence, in verse 1, we find the hope and certainty that we need, that Jesus is King, that Jesus is Lord, He is over all things and in all things, and in Him all things hold together. This king will have his way and there will be no end to his reign. And we can have certainty and hope in this king. But secondly, you know, Matthew doesn't stop there. Uh, and, he, and he's like, if you don't quite believe me or if you don't quite track with me, I'm just going to dive into the detail of this family line and show you how I've got to these conclusions. And so he then maps out in three sections the family line of Jesus, starting with Abraham and following it through to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And perhaps if you've got your Bible in front of you, you'll see a whole list of names. And you'll see some familiar names there. So you'll see names like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jesse, David, Solomon, Josiah, and so on. And then there are names that are less familiar and aren't quite as popular uh, today. So we've got Aminadab, uh, we've got Azor, Eleazar, and my favourite, bless his soul, in verse 5, Salmon. Uh, what, a, what a name that is. Uh, and perhaps what we expect to see is a line of godly leaders and kings to arise. And we see that from Abraham all the way up to David. But particularly after King David, you would expect Israel to continue on an upwards path. But instead, Israel plunges into the era of divided kingdoms and eventual exile. And so we have these names and we have these often fallen, broken leaders. But what we also see in this genealogy, which is striking, is the names of women that are included in this family tree. The names of four women can be found in this genealogy and they are not the women that you would expect to be found in something like this. So for the Jewish readers at the time, uh, the four key women or the four matriarchs in their history would have been Sarah, who was married to Abraham. You've got Rebecca, who was married to Isaac. And then you've got Leah and Rachel, who are married to Jacob. But these women don't actually feature in this genealogy. Instead, if you look down, we have Tamar, who had inappropriate relations with her father-in-law. We have Rahab, 
who was a prostitute in the city of Jericho who helped the Israelites capture that city. We have Ruth, who was a Moabite and was therefore ethnically unclean or outside of the people of God. And finally, we have Bathsheba, who uh, was Uriah's wife, but who King David had an affair with. Four women, each with their own stories and backgrounds that did not necessarily make for a smooth and problem-free family history. And Matthew is drawing our attention to something here. He's trying to ram a point home that these men and these women have been used by God and that God can use anyone and anything for his plans and his purposes. In fact, the Messiah, the anointed one, the saviour of the world came from this family line that included incestuous relations, prostitution, racial outcasts and cheaters. It's an incredible storyline. It's an incredibly family line that the saviour of the world would come from this family. And you might be watching this this morning and you feel like you aren't good enough to be part of God's plans and purposes. Perhaps you feel like your family background or your family heritage, your family story somehow disqualifies you from being used by God. You know, if people really knew what I was like or, or if people knew, really knew what had gone on in my past or, or perhaps you've just recently become a Christian and you said, you know, I don't have any track record. I don't have the, the family heritage. God couldn't use someone like me. But Matthew, right at the beginning of his gospel, uh, says that, that God actually specialises in using broken people to play their part in his redemptive story. Isn't that amazing? I find that remarkable, that you can play your part today, that broken people like me and you can be part of God's overarching story and, and we've heard stories already, haven't we, of, of people reaching out in generosity and in kindness. And in this, in this season of challenge and isolation and separation, it's actually a season for sacrificial mission, isn't it? It's an opportunity to reach out. It's great to hear WhatsApp groups being set up on streets. We had a note through our door from a neighbour saying if we needed anything uh, just to get in touch. It's amazing and, and I believe that this is a time where the church can show up, that the church can rise up and stand up and reach out and demonstrate the love and kindness and care of God and he can use people like me and you. Uh, and so we're going to pray about that a little bit later on. And the third and final thing that I want to talk about is, is that it's from this murky background that Jesus emerges from, that we see the mission of God really clearly. And in verse 21 of Matthew, uh, the first chapter of Matthew, it says this, uh, and it's speaking to Mary and it says, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, the mission of Jesus was clear. It was to rescue people but not just from their own individual sin and the things that they had done wrong, but to save Israel from its long line of rebellion and sin. And he came that, to do that for me and you as well. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life, a life 
that we were supposed to live but were unable to because of the selfishness in our own hearts. He came and he, he demonstrated the kingdom of God as he healed the sick, raised the dead. Uh, he, he reached out in compassion and kindness to the downtrodden. And instead of growing old, he died on a cross at the age of 33 in order to be a sacrifice for our sin, taking the punishment that we deserved on himself so that rather than us being in debt to God, there is now no charge against us. We have been set free and given a new identity and a new family to be part of. In a sense, Jesus' story becomes our story. Uh, And in Ephesians chapter 2, it says this in verse 12, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. We have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. It's an incredible thing. We have been brought near and brought into this new family. The uh, church building that we're in right now, that our cotton site meets in, has two big red doors that you walk into as you enter. It's actually an old church tradition. You'll see lots of old churches with big red doors at the front. And they're painted red to remind us of something, that we enter the church, that we enter the family of God through the blood of Jesus. You see, when we become part of the church or part of the family of God, we are walking into completedness already prepared. The finished work of Jesus on the cross means that we can enter in and we can know that we belong. We have been added to this genealogy in a sense from the same line that included Abraham and Ruth, Rahab and Jesus. We can find our names now have been adopted into that family line. In a sense, we get a new surname, a new family line, a new family history. And because of the blood of Jesus, for those who are weary, they can find rest. To all who mourn, you can find comfort. For those who fail, we can find strength. To all who sin, you can have a saviour. And when my mum discovered her family, it brought about a whole new lease of life to her. A whole new meaning and purpose. Things made more sense now. And we can respond to the invitation of being part of this new family. For some of us, we've already done that. We would already say that we are followers of Jesus and we are part of God's family. And so the question is, what does that look like for you to be part of God's family? And how does that outwork itself today? There is an opportunity to to look beyond yourself and to reach out to those in need. And so perhaps a way of doing that even this week might be to think of three people that you can pray about this week and then to message them or text them or phone them and, and encourage them and to tell them that you're praying for them. That might be something that you can do 
this week. For some of you watching, perhaps you're not a Christian, but the crisis around you is, is actually raising some pretty big questions about what your life is all about. Can I encourage you to consider the offer that Jesus is making to you to be part of his family? And if that's you, then in a moment we're going to pray and you can belong to the family of God today. So I'm going to pray uh, and then we're going to respond by taking communion uh, together. Uh, So let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that in him we find everything that we need. That he is our rescuer, our hope and our certainty in these challenging times. We thank you that you choose broken people like us to work out your purposes and that you've invited us into a new family that will go on into eternity. I want to pray that as we gather in this way for the foreseeable future, that we would take the opportunities to reach out to people who are in need and to invest in our relationships with each other and most importantly with you. Lord, I want to pray for this family at City Church. I want to pray for everyone that's watching right now, that each one of us would know your presence with us, whether it's as we go to work in hospitals and in schools or we're at home. Would you bring us closer to you and to each other? In Jesus' name, amen.